Hello, and welcome to the Jeff Culture Podcast with me, Mary Jane. I'm a registered nurse and the owner of MJD Legal Nurse Consulting. In the medical community, Just Culture refers to this idea that when errors occur, they should be examined closely and without judgment. It, to be honest, most errors, especially the larger ones, do not happen in a vacuum. So if we truly take a deep look at all the events leading up to an error and the factors at play, we can usually spot the weak link in the processes and hopefully prevent future errors from occurring. That's exactly what we'll be doing here in this podcast. Over the course of my career, I've reviewed hundreds of medical-related cases as a resource for attorneys across the country. I aim to use that experience, as well as my experience as a practicing registered nurse, to analyze medical-related cases, explore what went wrong, and perhaps learn what we can do in the future to save lives. Hello and welcome to Just Culture with Mary Jane Duquette. In this episode, we'll be talking or we'll be telling another Tales from the Trenches. This one is a little different. A family member who is a nurse and also a legal nurse themselves is the one who submitted this tale in hopes to bring light to some very important issues. Just a reminder that this story is anonymous. Any names will not be mentioned. The facilities will not be mentioned. I occasionally also change the genders and try to be gender neutral so that it's just one less identifier in these situations. So without further ado, here is the tale as it came in. I came across your post on Facebook and loved your idea of sharing real stories of injustices or mistakes. My introduction to legal nursing came by accident after a family member that I was very close with died unexpectedly in the hospital after a planned surgery. As a nurse that had so much faith in the modern medicine, I had a hard time accepting my family member's death. I searched for answers in the medical records and pieced all the information together to find out that the locum doctor operating on him had botched his surgery. So, um, quick aside. A locum doctor, it refers to the term locum tenens, which is Latin for to hold in place of or substitute for. In medicine, that means a doctor that is filling in at a hospital on a temporary basis, kind of like a traveling doctor of sorts. Back to the story. The doctor ignored alarms for over 30 minutes, causing my family member to bleed out. This nurse is saying that the doctor, when she looked in the medical records, the doctor botched, she found evidence that the doctor botched the surgery, which means that there was an error occurred. And the error that this nurse found was that the doctor had ignored alarms that were going off in surgery for over 30 minutes. And that caused the family member to bleed uncontrollably and essentially to what we call bleed out or lose too much blood. These alarms that the listener is referring to are the alarms that monitor patients' vital signs during the procedure. They will alert to things like dropping or spiking blood pressure, elevated or decreased heart rate. There'll be alarms for the ventilator setting. There'll be alarms in if it's a they're on bypass. There'll be alarms for that and more. If something were to be going wrong, the alarms would go off and normally a surgeon would stop what they're doing, correct the issue, especially if there's bleeding. You see, in surgeries, there aren't really, they aren't really the bloodbaths that you see on TV. 
If they are, then something's gone terribly wrong. Surgeons control bleeding very well when they're in the operating room. And if there is bleeding that isn't well controlled, they do everything they can to stop it as quickly as possible because their goal is to have as little blood loss as possible. And they do this. They can stop bleeding by um, cautery, which is kind of like burning maybe an area of skin that might be oozing a little bit of blood or clamping something if they've, you know, kind of have an artery or, or a bigger bleed exposed. But for the most part, surgery shouldn't be really bloody. Um, so back to the story. I was so naive that I thought writing letters and meeting with risk management would help prevent this from happening to someone else. My concerns fell on deaf ears and the hospital told me that I didn't want to accept how sick my loved one was. Despite my requests, there were no root cause analysis or meetings with the staff to discuss what happened. So the root cause analysis here refers to the premise that this whole podcast was born from. The idea that when a mistake or medical error occurs, the hospital needs to sit down and review the events leading up to the mistake and the, with the goal of finding out what, why, and how the error happened. To learn why an error occurs is the first step to prevent anything from happening in the future. To do this properly, the hospital is supposed to do this analysis without judgment so that healthcare professionals feel safe to own up to their mistakes and willingly and safely participate with the analysis to help to get answers. That's the goal. That's what should happen. I'm sure the risk management reviewed the case, but only to see how probably how likely the hospital would be sued and what they can do to minimize that risk only. So as fate would have it, I was able to sit down with the surgical first assist that was present in my relative surgery over a year after they passed away. So nothing had happened when this nurse had gone to risk management, hospital administration. They're like, you just didn't know how sick your family member was. They just couldn't handle the surgery. End of story. We didn't do anything wrong. Your family member just couldn't make it. Again, skirt the blame on someone else. And, but medicine is a small world. So this nurse ended up finding the first assist. Um, the first assist is sort of like a surgical technician, but they, instead of being responsible for the sterile field and the instruments that the technician is responsible for, the surgic, the first assist is actually the one um, helping the, the surgeon with the actual procedure and patient care um, and on that end of it. So this person would have had a very, very close, up close and personal view of everything that was going on. And also these people tend to be doing multiples of the same procedures. So even though they're not a, the surgeon, they can still tell you if something's gone wrong because it's their job as the assist to be able to anticipate what the surgeon's going to need next. If something's going wrong and they need a clamp, that first assist will automatically know I'm going to get a clamp. So when the surgeon asks for the clamp, I'm just going to hand it to them. The technicians will probably even be ha having the clamp in their hand, ready to hand to them to give to them. I remember watching a video in nursing school where there was a patient going under surgery and they usually put you under anesthesia and then they'll intubate you. It's a lot more comfortable that way, makes a lot more sense that way, but there's a period of time where you're unconscious and they've given you your paralytic medicine so you can't move or breathe. So they have a very short period of time to get that, in, that tube down for um, your breathing. 
And in this procedure, the doctor was having a really hard time intubating this patient. And the school was showing us the video because as the surgeon struggling and trying over and over and over and over again, it's showing the clock ticking because we're running close to the time where this patient's going to now start suffering brain damage from lack of oxygen. And the nurses and surgical techs and the surgical team was all ready to do an artificial airway. So like cut the neck open and put in a trach so that this patient can breathe. And they had everything ready to go. They were there. They started to ask the doctor, hey, we're ready. You want to go for this? The doctor turned them away and said, no, no, no. The patient ended up, I think, having complications and brain damage. I'm not sure if she survived or not. It's been a while. But what I took away from that was how much nurses actually know. The surgeon on the outside world, the surgeon's the one who knows. But we have to know. The people assisting the surgeon have to know almost as much as the surgeon because we have to be anticipating their needs. That's how we help them. So this first assist that the nurse met with, uh, a year after, that's where we're at now, so back to her email, this person, the first assist, remembered my family member, and it was actually my relative's case that led this person to leave the cardiac program after 20 plus years. The first assist confirmed my theories of how the surgeon went off, went so off course. They told me about the concerns this person and multiple other healthcare professionals verbalized over the doctor's actions. I was heartbroken to find out that the hospital was aware of the issue brought forward by multiple staff and chose to ignore it. I wanted to hold the hospital accountable. I had already met with their risk manager and hospital administration, and they lied to me about what happened in the operating room. I knew what I saw in those medical records was a red flag. As an active indication, I wrote my own version of a chronology to a medical malpractice law firm explaining what had happened. So this law firm would have gotten looped the gold mine, if a legal nurse was the one. Um, she used quotations in her chronology because she didn't really, she wasn't working as a legal nurse, didn't even know what it was. So she wouldn't have had this craft honed just yet. But the fact that she knew enough to do it was just amazing. Um, a chronology is created by a legal nurse. It can be created by a non-nursing professional, to be honest, but if you really want to make sure you have only pertinent information, you'll have a legal, you'll have a nurse do it or a medical professional do it. So the chronology, it summarizes the pertinent medical records associated with a legal claim. So legal nurses like me will review thousands of pages of medical records. I mean, I've had 10, 12,000 pages or more. It, it can be a ton. And we take all of those records, review them carefully and neatly organize just the important information in a summary report for an attorney. So it can look a little bit different. Sometimes I use a, a chart with kind of bullet points so it can just be like really easy to, to skim through and look through. Sometimes it, it's in a different format. It just really depends on what the attorney needs and honestly how they prefer to, to look at things. Really, I don't... I mean, I, I just try to tailor everything towards each client to the best that I can, keep keep things simple. But at the same time, if one client likes one format and hates the other one, I'm not going to, you know, be like, well, I'm not the nurse for you. But what this does is it can take 
A chronology can take 10 to 12 to 20,000 pages of medical records. Bring it down to like, I don't know, 100 pages or less of a chronology. All of the fluff, like, you know, the vital signs, maybe, you know, say you have like a wound care case, a bed sore, and a patient was hospitalized for a long time. So you'll have all the records for that whole hospitalization, but you don't really need everything. You just need you need a good baseline. You need to have all of the pertinent events so you can kind of piece together what happened and how their hospital stay went. But do you need every single hourly patient round from day one? No, you probably need them around when they would have gotten the wound. Do you need, you need their nutrition information leading up to and after? There's there's a lot of information that you do need, but there'll be a lot of information that you don't. But in this case, you would definitely need just the events of the surgery. You would want to have a baseline and find out what was going on with the patient and then kind of all what happened and just highlight on that. You know, if they're in the hospital, they have a complication. You don't you need to know what happened, what they were in the hospital for and what their course was. But your focus is going to be on everything related to that complication. And that also helps the attorneys just kind of focus and not go down rabbit holes that they don't need to go down. Um, so the person on the receiving end of my chronology was a nurse turned attorney. And this person is the one who encouraged me to get involved in legal nursing. We were approaching the, the statute of limitations for my state and my relative was not married or had any children. So the statute of limitations, there's a limit to how long you can you have to file a claim after an event occurred or after you found out that an event had occurred. It sometimes goes from the date of the incident or the date of when the incident was discovered, depending on the state, the situation. And there are lots of other factors that play into this. The best person to find out if you think you might have a case is sit with an attorney. They'll always, they'll usually look at a case for free. They're not going to charge you to look at it. So contact someone, look at it, find out what the statute of limitations is when it when it will run and how long you have to file. Don't make the same mistake that the client in episode five of this podcast did. Uh, if you want more details, um, look into that situation. It's again, it's episode five. There was a case um, where they ended up not being able to file a claim because they missed the statute of limitations. So it is very important. And back to the email. As the executor of my family member's estate, I knew it was futile to bring forth any legal action. As a nurse who cared about the direction of healthcare, I was angry with the hospital system as a whole. I felt so let down by the very industry that I worked hard to support. That lit a fire in my little nurse heart, and I wasn't going to let that hospital gaslight me any further. So gaslighting here means she saw that there was an error. She looked at the records. She knew for a fact something happened, but the hospital just kept telling her, you didn't see what you saw. You didn't see that. You're you're just you're you're just not really looking at the fact that your family member was really sick. And so it makes you question like, oh, my God, am I like crazy? Did I not see that? And um, that's kind of a hallmark of a toxic relationship. Um, and that's kind of what healthcare is known for. I wrote complaints to the Joint Commission, which is the agency that governs hospitals and ensures they are safe, a complaint to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, government agency that 
regulates healthcare facilities and also determines Medicare payment to the hospital. Um, this nurse made a complaint to the state medical board, which regulates physicians and surgeon licenses, kind of like the board of nursing for nurses, but the, me the medical board um, handles doctors and the agency that employed the traveling doctor because they would want to know. About a year later, this nurse was training a new nurse with a cardiac ICU background. Back to the email. This nurse I worked in the hospital that my family member had died in. The new nurse informed me that the Joint Commission came on a complaint and they found major issues. The hospital's cardiac catheterizations were pulled, no longer being performed. I know not everyone will see this type of justice on their journey through the legal system, but it sparked something so bigger inside of me. I went into nursing because I have a heart for helping people. For so long, I believed the fallacy that the only way to help people as a nurse is to care for them with my own two hands. I didn't even know what legal nurse consulting was when I fumbled through 2,000 pages of dumpster fire worth worthy medical records to figure out how my relative died. I'm so thankful for this career and the opportunity it gives me to serve people in an, another capacity of nursing. And that concludes her email. Um, wow. So where do I begin? Let's start with the fact that this story isn't even an isolated one. In all different hospitals across the U.S., the main defense is to deflect, deny, and gaslight the family members and patients into thinking nothing went wrong. We are even taught when we have an incident, like a fall, we are to fill out an incident report, but not mention it to anyone at all. We just state the medical record that the family member fell or whatever happened and leave it at that. And this is only in a hospital where the risk management department actually reviews cases. Some hospitals don't even have risk management. They just have attorneys that kind of deflect situations when they come up. We are also told as nurses not to speak to family members or patients about what happened and what went wrong per se. The bottom line, the bottom line, this hospital's goal was to avoid a lawsuit at all costs, including the cost of future complications from patients in their facility if the surgeon was allowed to continue to operate, but also by not reporting the physician to the board themselves, they now open themselves up to letting the surgeon, maybe they're like, oh, the surgeon's garbage, I'm gonna release them. Well, if you don't report the surgeon, then the surgeon's gonna go to another hospital and someone else is gonna get hurt. So as soon as a hospital finds out that an event happens and a patient is harmed and they don't do anything about it, they just want to avoid a lawsuit, they want to avoid shenanigans, and they let someone else harm, get harmed, I feel like it should still be on their conscience at the very least that this other person might not have been harmed if they had spoken up promptly. But that might be just my opinion. Another issue is with risk management themselves. They are not on anyone's side except the hospital. I want to be clear with that. A lot of nurses come out of nursing school, and I was told this in school, that, oh, you don't need to have your own malpractice insurance. The hospital has lawyers and they will help you. Yes, they will help you as long as it's in the hospital's best interest. However, they will also throw you in the bus if it, it if it's necessary to protect the hospital. So make sure you know that. The risk management's goal is to avoid a lawsuit at all costs. They will not admit anything to a patient or a family member. 
have you seen um there's a netflix documentary documentary goodness called the good nurse where a nurse is going around in a hospital on a unit in the icu killing patients tech detectives got involved and detectives were talking directly to the risk manager at the hospital and the risk manager was straight out lying to the detectives they lied about having more records available at the facility they even told the detectives um, they should like the detectives should have had access to thousands of pages of medical records for each one of these patients harms that they were investigating they probably had it from the documentary documentary it was like hundreds of pages instead of the thousands that they should have had and the risk manager lied also about the Pixis machine, which is the machine that dispenses medication to nurses. It's a computer and there are records for every single action that any computer makes. Even if they tell you that, oh, we don't have a way to trace that. Yes, yes, you do. Anytime there's a computer, there's going to be an audit trail and you can pull it. But that's not all, especially with the Pixis, because there are ways that you can fool it. Essentially, for someone who doesn't know, like if you pulled, say you had to have a omeprazole or a pill and you pull one out, but you were supposed to pull two. So you can go back in and try to pull, say you're going to pull the med again, grab your second pill and then cancel it and then close it. That way the count in the drawer is accurate because the first time you were supposed to pull two, but you've only pulled one on accident. So, um, I mean, that's a tactic that I've used. I've seen charge nurses use and we can go through and redo the counts. But if anything is mistake, if the account is count is off, it needs to be rectified. So you can be looking for that kind of stuff. So if it looks like somebody pulled something and canceled it, you want to also look for if the count was ever off, because then that means that they canceled it, but the drawer opened. So they very well could have pulled something. And by the counts being off, then that is evidence that it was pulled and I believe this incident it was insulin that this nurse was using to kill people and the way that this nurse got caught was actually fellow nurses spoke up and helped the detectives they looked at the minimal records that the detectives had and they let them know which ones that they needed to add to they um, they made sure that they got the records that they needed and they educated and reviewed the Pixis records for the detectives because, to be honest, the detectives didn't even know they were missing anything. They just had these records. They were told by the hospital, this is all we have. And they're like, all right, sweet. I mean, detectives don't really do a lot of medical stuff. It's not like maybe a medical malpractice attorney who's used to looking at records. Um, but even then, I still have never once seen a full, complete set of medical records in the few years I've been doing this. Um, but just, just never, never underestimate a nurse. If this case went to court, the attorney would need a cardiac surgeon, but look at all the work that would have already have been done when it made the decision to file the claim by having a nurse on. The good news is that the nurse charge, the nurses charge less than physicians. So we can do a chronology. We can do a report, educate attorneys on what happened. And then by the time the surgeon's there, they just really have to give their opinion. They don't really have to spend a lot of time going through and letting you know what happened, especially if you're wondering if you have a case, have a nurse look at it. It's like a fraction of the cost. It's really a no brainer. 
The other issue that this is bothering me about this specific case that we're talking about here is that the hospital not only was trying to avoid a lawsuit, but they were also going also going to knowingly let that surgeon keep operating on and harming patients. To report the surgeon to the medical board themselves would be to admit that something went wrong to one of their patients in their facility, and that would be admitting a, a lawsuit could be filed. So they didn't want to do that, because remember, it's avoid a lawsuit, avoid attention, negative attention. So maybe they would let the surgeon work for them any longer, like I said, and they would let them go on to work somewhere else. The kind of the model for this and the extreme in this case is the um, Dr. Death. I don't even remember his name. Dateline did a, they did a special on it. There's a whole podcast. If you just Google an Apple Dr. Death, it's, it's an amazing, I highly recommend it if you're interested, but he was a neurosurgeon that worked at several different hospitals. I believe in Texas, he harmed patients and even killing them as he went along. He was either he was either really, really, really incompetent, didn't know what he was doing, or just plain evil and knew exactly what he was doing. I don't think that we've actually teased out which is which, but he was allowed to switch from facility to facility before he was finally caught and put in jail. The previous facilities didn't even report his actions. They never even reported him to the board of nursing. I mean, the, the medical board, nothing. They were just, they just let him go. And even I think some of them gave him positive marks and were like, yeah, he was a great surgeon they probably were just glad to see him out of their hair and no longer going to need to worry about a lawsuit from him. And other places were just hiring him, even though, I don't know. I mean, did they even look into him? I don't know. But neurosurgery brings in a lot of money to hospitals. So if they see a neurosurgeon wants to come work for them, they're like, heck yeah, come on, let's go. Let's bring in the money. It's so unfortunate, right? That's what they care about. So in doing so, all of these other previous hospitals really had a hand in any patient's demise after the surgeon left their facility, in my opinion. But my opinion doesn't matter in this situation, I guess. I mean, the hospitals were never punished or looked at or nobody questioned the fact that they just let him go. I mean, they questioned it in the documentary, but were there any consequences? No, I don't believe so. I think a few of them had to pay out settlements to family members. And even with that, that was like kind of on the hush and probably a lot less than the patients. And I mean, the family members were entitled to, but the hospitals are worried. What they get worried about is what it will look like in the news. So they don't want to make a big deal about something like a, like a doctor death or like the surgeon. And uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if I had a hospital that was like, oh my gosh, this one thing happened and this is like every single action that we took to stop it and to stop this person and we reported it and they're not going to work here anymore. I would feel safer going to that hospital than knowing that they're just going to allow something to happen, be complacent or just kind of let things slide. That would bother me a lot more. And the last issue here that I want to discuss is the gaslighting. I know the term is all over social media and might have some negative, might make some people feel some type of way about it, but gaslighting, the definition is to manipulate someone using psychological methods into questioning their own sanity or powers of reasoning. We see this a lot in domestic violence and trauma relationships where the perpetrator is doing something horrible 
but they are spinning the story around to the other person as if it didn't happen, that the other person was mistaken, the other person never saw what they thought they saw, the other person is just crazy. Well, that is what healthcare is like, just like the nurse brought their very valid concerns to the risk manager and health administration. They made her feel like she wasn't seeing what she was seeing. She was mistaken. They knew what really happened and she must not have realized just how sick her loved one was. In other words, the nurse's judgment was clouded. Listen, people's lives are at stake. Why is no one holding these people accountable for their actions and how hospitals are allowed to just operate like this and run like just right under our noses? They, they just, that's what they're allowed to do. Brave nurses and healthcare workers are speaking out, but it is at a cost. I bet if the staff at the facility went against the risk manager's advice and spoke up or reported anything, they would have been fired, regardless of any law in place in that state. I can speak from experience. I had my job threatened on so many occasions and was even driven out of a position because I refused to keep my mouth shut when it came to patient safety. That is one thing I would never keep my mouth shut about at all. I refused to compromise my license and the health and safety and the care of the patients that I'm in charge of caring for. I was assigned I mean, if I'm assigned to care for a patient and I take my job as a nurse very seriously to keep them safe, to help them heal and to care for them and to make sure that they are in good hands. And I'm not quiet about it. I will speak up. Um, I drive management crazy. They don't really like to work with me because they, I mean, one day I was called a liability by my manager from a um, agency that I was working at, they said that um, I was a liability when I brought up the fact that the, po- the facility had zero policies and procedures. I think I was being asked to go take care of a patient with a tracheostomy, which is like a tube in the neck. I'd done it in the hospital. So I did have the skill to care for a tracheostomy, but this was um, in a different setting. And I just wanted to look at the policy to see you know, what, one, what my role is in this facility, because it was a different role. I wasn't, it wasn't brand new. Um, I just wanted to know what the policy was and what the expectation was of me. And the place had no policies. They admitted it to me. I was like, well, I'm a legal nurse. Do you, do you want some help making some policies? We could do some research and put it all together. And they're like, no, I think you're just a liability. So I kept my mouth shut about that from now on. And um, I had to dig through the evidence-based practice to find out what the best practice was in that setting to care for a patient with a tracheostomy. But I mean, I don't know, was I a liability or was I their best gift? I really have no idea. I think the latter. Um, I was also fired for walking out when a facility tried to hand me a one nurse to 36 patient assignment when the standard per the research is one nurse to five patients in that specialty. And they expected me to do 30, take care of 36 patients. Look at my, If you're interested in learning more, diving into staffing ratios, look at my episode a few episodes back. I really took a deep dive into staffing ratios, what's happening and the research around them and why they matter. I highly recommend if that's something that you're questioning or um, you want to look into, definitely start there. Um, You know, it's about patient safety, number one. That's why we care. And it's also about my license and my livelihood, but I only care 
because protecting my license means protecting my patients. And I mean, that's kind of what I'm known for. Um, and that's what patients really want. Um, I'm sure there are, you know, a hundred other issues we could go on about here, but due to time constraints, I'm going to end this conversation now. There'll be plenty of opportunities to bring up more. This listener story is so heartbreaking. Thank you to the brave soul who sent this in and shared the story. I am personally grateful and I'm sure other listeners are grateful for you to speak up. I'm so thankful that you found your way to turn this unfortunate event into something meaningful and found a new career where you're serving people in a different but still profound and needed way. And I applaud you for that. Um, I might be biased, but I think legal nurses are amazing. Um, I, too, kind of found legal nurse consulting on accident, helping a friend with a case. And um, I wish you all the best in your career and kudos for sticking up and doing what's right uh, when so many people really weren't and they were actually going in the opposite direction. So um, if you have a tale from the trenches that you want to send in, uh, please do. I'm here to tell your stories. Just everything will be kept anonymous for your protection because I realize if you speak up, you won't be well, well received in the nursing community. Um, I wasn't well, well received anyway. So um, send your submissions to mj at mjdlegalnurseconsulting.com and just put listener story or tales from the trenches somewhere in the subject line so that it doesn't get lost in all of my other emails and I will review it and as time allows weave them in because it your story matters and we need we we need to tell these stories the public needs to know patients have a right to know and nothing will change unless we first make some noise about it that's how all movements get started right? Share this with your friends if you found it valuable or um, think somebody in your world needs to hear it. And um, I'll see you next time.